We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I for the 49ers for all of you fine folks on the other side of the speaker. Appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you being here. This episode, as always, is brought to you by Prize Picks. Uh, Now, just because the NFL season is over does not mean Prize Picks is over. They have all the sports, all of them. And again, it's the same deal. Two to six players. You're picking more or less on whatever statistical category you want to. When it was NFL, you were talking receiving yards, rushing yards, tackles, sacks, passing yards, completions, all that good stuff. Again, two to six players picking more or less, and then you're watching the winnings roll in. Unless you're me, and the winnings did not roll in that often. I had some. I had some. I kept my prize picks pool afloat the entire season. So I guess I have something to hold my hat on. But I certainly didn't rake in the winnings like I think probably more people than than me uh, have success with. But again, that's prizepicks.com slash gold. As you all know, prizepicks.com slash gold. And you're going to use the promo code gold. All right. Here we are. One week removed from the 49ers Super Bowl loss. I, this was meant to be recorded on Sunday evening to be published Monday morning per the usual striking gold schedule, which may or may not drop down to one episode per week. Now that the season is done, uh, maybe there may be some weeks where it's one episode, some where it's two. I want it to be predictable for you guys. We'll see. At the bare minimum, it's one episode per week. And then if anything of note happens, then you've got another episode per week. I may just take the things that I was going to talk about on one episode and split them up into two. You know, like I kind of like the two episode per week thing. We'll see. We'll see. If you have any, I'm assuming you guys would want two episodes per week versus one, unless you're just like someone's forcing you to listen to Striking Gold, like that internet meme where the guy's like holding the person's eyes open, except somebody's doing that with your guys' like ears. Anyways, so sh- there may be weeks where it's one episode. There may be weeks where it's two episodes, or it may be two episodes all the time. 
just depends on if I feel like I've got something to talk about. Um, which it's the 49ers for some reason they are, there's always something to talk about, which from a content perspective is great. Uh, but from a sanity's perspective, sometimes it gets a little weird. Um, so we're a week from the Super Bowl, uh, and and I guess you know you've we've kind of had some time to just digest it. I'm, I'm positive it, it hasn't gone down any better. It doesn't taste any better. You know, if if anything, it's just become more and more clear to me that the 49ers let the Chiefs get away with one. When you think of all the mistakes the 49ers made and all the things they had to do just to make it an overtime game, you know, that, that Super Bowl was the 49ers for the taking, but they made not every mistake you could make. Like Brock Purdy didn't throw an interception, but you know, you had your best players not playing their best football. Christian McCaffrey had a good game. I think it was only the second game of the year where Christian McCaffrey rushed for over like 75 yards and the 49ers still lost. And I think he added another like 80 yards receiving, but he still put the ball on the ground. When the 49ers were looked like they were going to easily march their way to the touchdown. Now, I don't want to talk about this for a long time. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I'm sure, sure most of you guys listening to this have kind of heard enough, you know. So I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I don't want to act like it didn't happen. You know, you have that punt that bounced off Darrell Luter's foot, which you can blame that on whoever, you know, and th- that was a multi-tiered mistake because Ray McLeod, Ray Ruben Cloud's responsibility is to tell everybody to get the hell out of the way. Um, Darrell Luter was not out of the way enough. Ball hits his ankle. And instead of just jumping on it, Ray McLeod tries to scoop and move it. Um, and that leaves it open to be recovered by the Chiefs. And they score their only touchdown in regulation on that play, the next play. So right here, in in two instances, you're talking about at least a 10-yard flip in the score. The 49ers were already in scoring position when CMC put the ball on the ground. The 49ers gave the Chiefs seven points when they were supposed to get the ball. So there's a ten, at least a 10-point swing. It might have been a 14-point swing. Sorry, I had to clear my throat. So to me, it's right there. You're you're talking about going from a game that went into overtime to a game that really wasn't even all that close. If the 49ers would have had those points for themselves rather than making stupid mistakes. And you had other mistakes too. The third quarter where Shanahan just forgot to run the football. And in his defense, that I think a lot of people just don't mention, the Chiefs were doing an incredible job stopping the run. They did an incredible job stopping the run on the game, you know, the 49ers only averaged 3.5 yards per carry. So, you know, and you've got that, you've got the two key third downs of the game, one in overtime where they settled for a field goal and the one in regulation, which is more important to me. And on, on both of those plays, you had a, the 49ers making a mistake that was more like you have to give Spags credit chiefs defensive coordinator for, for, but you do under hundred percent, but what he did was predictable. He blitzed and the 49ers somehow were surprised by this. And Brandon Ayuk was left essentially uncovered. Brock Purdy doesn't give him the ball. It gets batted down right in front of him. You get that first down and the game's not over, but 
you can use so much more of that clock. The Chiefs are forced to expand their timeouts, which I believe they only had two left at the time. It's just, I mean, you starts to add up. All these, like, the, it was the 49ers game to win, and they just fucking handed it to them. And here's the, the thing that hasn't made any of this any easier to stomach. The amount of stupid shit we've seen and heard from the 49ers mic that, that mic'd up special has been borderline unbearable. Both in the way people have reacted to it and the content itself. You know, you'll start with the obvious. Kittle saying hello to George Karloftis while he's blocking him and then Christian McCaffrey fumbles the ball right behind him. And George Karloftis, who Kittle was blocking slash saying hello to, is the one that recovered the fumble. Now, full stop, the people that were bitching about that play as if Kittle should have been turned around looking at the play and watching for the ball. That, that's not how football works. Kittle was facing his man, blocking his man. Now, let me hold off on the blocking because that's where my complaint, if, if there is a complaint. You know, and I have no qualms with Kittle and the way he plays football and the goofiness he does and the laughing and the talking, that, whatever. If, if all of a sudden you have a problem with George Kittle like that, then you're kind of missing the, uh, the point here. All of a sudden, my, I feel like my voice is, I got like a stuffy nose just from talking. Weird. Weird. I'll try to keep it together. So I, I didn't have a problem with the, the George Kittle saying hello thing slash not. Rec- I didn't have a problem with George Kittle not recovering the fumble. That wasn't his responsibility. He shouldn't have his head turned around watching for something like that. He should have his eyes on his man. My problem was if George Kittle had continued to block his man instead of hitting him hard and kind of screening him off and then taking the time to say hello. If he had just continued to block him, Juwan Jennings style and drove him towards the sideline, wherever. George Karloftis is a big dude, but so is George Kittle, who had who had done well up until that point. If he had continued to block his man, Karloftis doesn't recover that fumble. Two 49ers landed on that ball right after Karloftis did. And if Kittle just continues to block his man rather than hitting him once and then just kind of standing in his way, which 99.9% of the time, that is enough. But on this play, it wasn't. Because... Because he he gave him that playoff, essentially, he was able to get on the ball and recover it. If Kittle had continued to block him and just made his life hell for another second or two, he doesn't recover that fumble. Now that, to me, is kind of the ultimate in hindsight is twenty twenty, but it's how it played out. It is what it is. You know, you and then you've got the other shit. Now, Kyle Yushek, not not knowing what was about to happen in overtime, not knowing the overtime rules uh, to get this out of the way. Bottom line up front, I guess I have softened. When, when we initially recorded, like with the takeaways and stuff, takeaway time after the Super Bowl, I was very much in favor of the decision Kyle Shanahan made to receive the ball. And I'm still not entirely opposed to it, but I have seen the arguments against it. You know, the reason the Chiefs were, this is another moment from mic'd up, the Chiefs laughing and being excited about the fact that the 49ers wanted the ball. The big point being the Chiefs know exactly what to what they need to do. If the 49ers kick a field goal, then the Chiefs know all they need is six. If the 49ers um, to win it, you know, obviously they know they need a field goal to, to keep it going. If the 49ers scored a touchdown, then the Chiefs had decided they were going for two. So they, you know, and they had four plays to get it there. And when you're the first team, you don't really feel like you have four plays because you 
can't necessarily risk not converting on a fourth down, and then all it takes is a chip chip shot field goal for the other team to to win the game. But my problem in, in herein lies with knowing that that's a disadvantage for the first team. To me, it, it wasn't for the 49ers because you're going against Patrick Mahomes. You shouldn't feel like you have the luxury of a field goal, but for some reason they did. And if you if you know if you really wanted to get feisty, you could have. I don't think if the 49ers would have scored a touchdown, they would have kicked the field goal. They would have taken the seven points. Kyle Shanahan at one point to a certain person, I, I saw it online, said that they wished they would have scored seven so that they didn't give Patrick Mahomes another chance, which is kind of scary because the new overtime rules, playoff overtime rules state that both teams get the ball no matter what. So all that means is the 49ers would have scored seven and the Chiefs would have gone down the field. Now, look, here's the reason why I'm still not really freaking out about Kyle Shanahan's decision to take it. Based on the way that was get game was going, I felt like they were losing it no matter what. You know, I know that's kind of morbid and, and jacked up to say, but like, okay, so the 49ers score. They go, let's say they go for it on, they run the ball on third and four. Or they go for it on fourth and four and get it. Or you run it on third and four and you get two. Then you run it on fourth and four and maybe you get it. Whatever, however you want to approach that. Well, the 49ers defense just could not stop the Chiefs during that portion of the game. The Chiefs in the fourth quarter had gone on a 12-play drive and an 11-play drive. And then in overtime, despite the fact that Kyle Shanahan took the ball and gave the defense a break, they still went on a 13-play drive and scored. So if Kyle Shanahan takes the ball or defers... You know, maybe the Chiefs go down and score, and they are, they're content with a field goal, and then the 49ers go down and score. And does Kyle Shanahan have, have the stones to go for two and either take the loss or the win? I don't know. It's all up in the air. But the, the whole overtime decision, I think, is a little overblown because I, I don't really see the results changing. It, it might give the 49ers a little bit better of a shot, but again, you're talking about sending a defense out there that had just given up an 11 and 12 yard drives and seemed like they had no answer. And then you've got freaking people are still giving Moody shit for missing that extra point. And it was bad, but watch that last drive in which the chiefs kicked the field goal to send it into overtime. They were on in cruise control mode. They were totally cool going into overtime, which I thought was kind of weird. They let so much clock run off. And I feel like if Moody makes that extra point and the Chiefs are forced to score, the Chiefs score and the game's over before it gets to overtime. So maybe uh, all in all, summarize that. The reason I'm not really freaking out so much about the Kyle Shanahan's decision to take the ball first is it seems like the Chiefs, at that point in the game, now that you'd given them the chance, they were not going to lose that game. The 49ers, at that point in the game, the 49ers defense just did not seem up to task. It is what it is. You know, it is what it is. That doesn't mean that there weren't better ways for the 49ers to go about everything, but to me, the most critical play late in the game was the third and four in regulation where Brock Purdy threw it into a blitzing, what was it, Trent McDuffie? And he just batted it down. That was it. Yeah. You know, like th that was the game. And you can look at, you know, there was the fourth and two 
that the Chiefs went to. You can hear Kyle Shanahan say, if we stop this, we're world champions, right? And then nobody accounts for Patrick Mahomes. He just runs for eight yards. You know, that's rough. That's rough. And all of this stuff was in that mic'd up that just made the 49ers loss look even worse than it was. You had Fred Warner saying, Travis Kelsey isn't built for four quarters of hell. And then he gets burned on a mate on a huge play where he was one-on-one with Kelsey. In the second half slash overtime, Kelsey had eight catches for 92 yards. Like, what are you talking about? To Sean Gibson saying Patrick Mahomes was a normal quarterback after Jair Brown intercepted him. Well, I mean, let's go look. After that interception... I mean, the Chiefs punted on the next drive. Then they got a field goal. Then they went punt. Then it went touchdown, field goal, field goal, touchdown. So that normal-ass quarterback cooked you in the second half. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, it's just... You even had Trent Williams calling the quarterback keep from the sideline, but the guys on the defense didn't have any idea what was going on, and he kept it. So... Yeah, that, that mic'd up made things a lot worse for just everyone to stomach. And I came away just thinking the 49ers looked overconfident and underprepared. And it cost them a Super Bowl. And you can take the label underprepared as far as you want. Because there were plays where the 49ers you know, busted um, on the play where um, Spencer Burford just blocked the wrong dude not only blocked the wrong dude, didn't block the Chiefs' best defensive player in Chris Jones. Brandon Ayuk was open over the middle. Now, I think he was more of like a second or third read. Could have gotten there. But Juwan Jennings was open, and he was going to score too. Again, just overconfident and underprepared. And, and it cost him a Super Bowl. Because looking back at that game, the 49ers were the better team that couldn't get their shit together both mentally, physically, you know, execution-wise. And, and I understand that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are far more experienced than most of the 49ers roster in, in that position, but just so many little things came up where you're just like, man, you guys handed it to them. Handed it to them. All right. Won't spend too much more time on that. I apologize. But there were things that we need to uh, needed to get out of the way. Um, obviously, since our last podcast, Steve Wilkes was relieved of his defensive coordinator duties. Hold on one second. Going to uh, clear my throat. Okay, thank you. Um, 
so I've seen a lot of stupid stuff about this too. Um, and, and I don't think it's, it's never great. Shouldn't necessarily be celebrated when a guy loses his job, you know, and Steve Wilkes was in an incredibly tough position having to come into a defense that both of its previous coordinators had been promoted to head coaching jobs. Both had seen um, quite a bit of success uh, and, and both had moved on. And Steve Wilkes was expected to come into this organization and adapt himself to the defense. In most cases, the defense adapts itself to the coordinator, but the 49ers defense had so much talent from top to bottom that they were looking for a coordinator that was going to come in uh, use his acumen to kind of adapt to what the 49ers do and then roll from there. And uh, obviously it didn't work out, but the the thing I can't stand and the thing I haven't been able to stomach was that somehow Kyle Shanahan was using Steve Wilkes as some sort of scapegoat or a reason that they lost the Super Bowl. You know, when I don't necessarily think that's the case, was Steve Wilkes' performance in the Super Bowl good? I mean, you're talking about a guy that held the Chiefs to, what, 19 points in regulation, which is not bad, but, I mean, that's right around what the Chiefs' output had been throughout the season. I mean, we we looked at their previous games. The Chiefs hadn't been putting up big numbers all season long. They just hadn't been that offense. And then, you know, when when you look at late in the game, the Chiefs were able to go, you know, three 10 plus, 10 plus play drives in a row to win the game. The 49ers weren't scoring points at, at, at a clip that they needed to. But they kept retaking the lead, if only for a little bit. And the 49ers defense just kept giving it right back up. Um, but again, it, it's not necessarily, I didn't see that. I didn't see the Super Bowl as the reason that Steve Wilkes was fired. I mean, if you want to look at how the season went as a whole. Or if you want to even start with the Super Bowl, you know, the, there was there was a point there where the offensive guy in Kyle Shanahan was calling timeouts to override the defensive guy because he was calling yet another zero blitz, which I, he had just called a blitz earlier and Patrick Mahomes just easily cast it aside. And I think he hit Rasheed Rice for a, a big play. And Steve Wilkes was going to do it again. And uh, Kyle Shanahan said, hell no. And even... Tony Romo on the on the broadcast was like, yeah, I agree with that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that either of them were right. But when your head coach slash offensive guy is calling timeouts to override the call of a defensive guy, things probably aren't going to work out. And there has been some stuff come out that basically said that Kyle Shanahan started to feel like he needed to micromanage the defense just as much as the offense. And he was kind of managing both plans whereas that's if Kyle Shanahan wants to survive as a head coach while also being the offensive coordinator there's no way in hell he can mingle in the defensive coordinator duties as well you know and and the fact that he was having to do that under Wilkes is a problem you know and look at the season when you're you know you you call another horribly timed blitz against the Vikings that he had to issue like an a public apology for and then afterwards, he was forced to go from the, the coaching box to the sideline. You know, it, it, things probably aren't going to work out. You know, if, if you think all of this stems just from the Super Bowl, then you just 
haven't been paying attention. When key players are making comments about how Wilkes was struggling to adjust or how it was their job to make bad calls seem like good calls, things probably aren't going to work out. Kyle Shanahan publicly called out Steve Wilkes after the Vikings game, and then Wilkes had that like little apology press conference, which is crazy. You know, the 49ers improved in some in some categories. It regressed in some categories. Towards the end of the season, it seemed like it really started to struggle. And, um, you know, it, it just it stems from way more. It goes way, way more beyond the Super Bowl, which had some moments in and of itself. But overall, I thought the 49ers defense right up until the end was was pretty impressive in the, in that group. And again, the only touchdown the Chiefs scored was off a, off a muff punt. So it's it's tough to to truly place the Super Bowl at the feet of Steve Wilkes. But in the end, we saw the 49ers retake the lead over and over and the, the defense give it up. And I never really blamed them for that because you, you could just saw how the flow of the game was going and it seemed inevitable. Like, oh, look, they're giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes with just a little under two minutes left. What could go wrong? You know, shit like that. What I won't stand for, though, and what I what I thought was laughable was how many people out there played the race card when it came to why Steve Wilkes was fired. Anybody that thinks Steve Wilkes' firing had anything to do with race hasn't been paying any attention to what the 49ers have been doing since Kyle Shanahan got here. The last two head coach, the last two defensive coordinators were also minorities both of which got head coaching positions. The 49ers have promoted like, or seen members of their organizations get promoted with other teams like four or five times. You got the Texans GM. You got Martin Mayhew, who became the the Washington's GM. You've got Robert Sala. You've got D'Amico Ryans. Rand Carthon was his name for for the Texans, I believe. Make sure I'm right on that. Boop, 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 boop. Yes, but there's another one, isn't there? But I think there's even another one that went somewhere else. I'm missing one. I'm missing one. It doesn't matter. You guys get the point. The 49ers have been by far the NFL's most successful team in getting minority head coach or minority coaching candidates promoted, which is why other teams have started to complain about how many compensatory draft picks the 49ers have gotten from that process. And then you've got people that think that Steve Wilkes was fired because of race. That's just not the, that's just not what the 49ers have proven. That's not their track record. Wouldn't make any sense based on what the 49ers have shown their ability to do, shown their willingness to hire minority candidates, shown their willingness to hire females, shown their willingness to hire shit, even LGBTQ Female, you know, like what, like what, I just don't see how you can assume that is the 49ers motivation when everything they've done coaching wise with their coaching staff has, has shown the complete opposite, not even like on the complete other end of the sphere. So to, to see that brought up, I, I was kind of taken back. I'm like, really? Have you just not been paying attention at all to what the 49ers, how they've handled their coaching staffs? 
because they've been pretty successful on that regard. So now you've got the 49ers um, in contention for a new defensive coordinator. You've, you've seen all of the options brought up. Uh, I mean, I'm the, obviously at the top of the list is former Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. Kyle's even mentioned it before. Like if I had the chance to, if I needed to fire someone to make way for Bill Belichick, I would do it. I think Pat Holloway wrote about it uh, on Niners nation. Um, now that doesn't, I do know that Bill Belichick and Kyle Shanahan share a unique relationship. Obviously they, they got together for the Jimmy Garoppolo trade and um, Bill Belichick felt like he was doing the 49ers a solid with that when he realized it wasn't going to work out. And for the most part, Given every the whole thing as a whole, it did work out. Now Jimmy Garoppolo now is is not working out. But so you've got Bill Belichick, and I think my weird ass backwards take on Belichick is the reason that a lot of people are saying he wouldn't do it, he wouldn't take the job with the 49ers, is to me a reason he might take the job with the 49ers. Everyone's saying, like, well, how could Bill Belichick you know, go from being a head coach slash GM and essentially being in charge of an entire organization to just becoming the 49ers defensive coordinator. And I get that. It's a perfectly sound argument. But to me, like, depending on where Belichick is in his life and in his career and what he wants to do and the effort he wants to put out and, uh, you know, the hours he wants to work, maybe becoming a defensive coordinator and removing yourself from all of those titles is the reason he wants to do it. Like, you know, I think he's is is Bill Belichick in his seventies now. Let me see this. Let me see this. Let me search this internet here. Boop, boop, he's seventy one years old. Would it really be that weird for him to step down or to to accept a defensive coordinator position and and the 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 reduced stress of just having to manage a defense and Kyle Shanahan knowing he's got a guy on defense that if players have a problem, if he has a problem. You know, like they really would all be deferred to Bill, you know, and it, it, it to me, the reasons, you know, everybody's like, oh, he wouldn't want he wouldn't want to do that. He wouldn't want to have have no control over over anything but the defense. And I'm like, dude, he's 71 years old. Why the hell not? You don't you're not retiring, but you're you're not doing anywhere near what you used to do. And maybe that is a break that Bill Belichick feels like he needs. Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe they're right. Maybe he he wouldn't really accept anything but head coaching positions. But the Falcons passed on him, and something tells me that was probably because he might have have wanted the same amount of control over the Falcons that he had over the Patriots. Maybe that's the case. And if that's the case, then he certainly wouldn't want a defensive coordinator job with the 49ers. But I don't know, man. Maybe maybe he's at a point where he's like, shit, man, I'll, I'll manage a defense for a year, and then we'll see what's available next year. Pretty crazy. Um, A lot of the candidates behind him, you guys have heard mentioned. Uh, Nick Sorensen, uh, both Matt Barrows of The Athletic, Greg Papa have mentioned it. He's the 49ers defensive passing game coordinator. I've seen his name mentioned the most often. Depends on what his background is. Right now, he's the defensive passing game coordinator, but I know that Kyle Shanahan probably wants somebody that can marry the, the the front seven to the secondary a bit better than Steve Wilkes was able to. 
You've got uh, Johnny Holland, the 49ers linebackers coach. He's been here since the beginning, since, you know, since the Robert Salas, since the D'Amico Ryans. He might be the best fit, but I get the same vibes with Johnny Holland as I do with Chris Kasurik. Like, they both seem like guys who are perfectly content in the position they're in. Chris Kasurik gets mentioned as a defensive coordinator candidate often because of how good he is at his job, but I also think that's the reason he has no interest in being a defensive coordinator. I think he is absolutely in love with being a defensive line coach. That is where his heart and soul resides. And if you've watched him in practice, you would know that he just does not seem like a coordinator. He seems like he is absolutely in his natural habitat as a defensive line coach. Is he capable of being a coordinator? I'm sure. And I'm sure the 49ers would love to have somebody who was approaching that position from the lens of a defensive line coach, but he just seems like he's just exactly where he needs to be. So whenever I see Chris, Chris, Chris circuit mentioned, I kind of throw that one out because, and, and he's, I certainly could be wrong, but he seems like he is like, I want to be your defensive line coach until I retire. As long as that's okay with you. And Kyle Shanahan's like, that's okay with me. And I know he gets paid well too. Other names I've seen mentioned, Brandon, Brandon Staley, the former Chargers head coach. Uh, I think his stint as the Chargers head coach kind of left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Um, but the last time he was a defensive coordinator for the Rams, he was he was in charge of one of the best defenses in the NFL. So, you know, whether uh, obviously a, a huge reason behind that was the personnel that was on the Rams. I think they still have Jalen Ramsey, and obviously they've got um, Aaron Donald and whoever else was on that unit at the time. I'm not really here to break down whether Brandon Staley would make a good option. For, for me, it doesn't seem like it's a fit schematically. I think Staley runs more of a Vic Fangio type of three, four defense. Not that he can't kind of adjust himself, but I don't think the 49ers will want somebody that has to adjust themselves. Maybe that's why they stay internal. Again, you've got Johnny Holland, You've got Daniel Bullocks, their defensive backs coach. He has a lot of experience, um, but he is coming from defensive backs. So we'll see. You've got guys out there like Chris Kiffin, who was the 49ers pass like pass rush specialist along with Chris Kasurik um, a couple years ago. Now he's with coaching linebackers with the Texans. Uh, he's a strong option. You know, I think the 49ers are going to want to come at this from the perspective of a linebackers or a defensive lines coach. Um, so he's got experience with the 49ers. He's got experience with Kasurik. Maybe that's a, a strong option for the 49ers. Um, there's some other names thrown out there. I've got Matt Barrow's um, article on the Athletic up here. He threw out Mark Wad Manuel, the New York Jets uh, safeties coach, Richard Smith, Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts linebackers. Um, he also has Nick Sorens and Brandon Staley. Uh, Corey Unlin, the Texans defensive passing game coordinator. And, of course, Mike Vrabel, former defensive former Titans head coach. Um, he's a C Barrows notes. This too is he's also kind of um, runs a, a different style, the defense than the 49ers run. I'm looking through the rest of Barrows options here. He has a lot of the same ones that I wrote down here. Um, also has Chris, Chris, Chris Kasurik. Uh added Pete Carroll to the mix. Um, I don't know. Let's re let's re let's read what Barrows says here. 
Barrow says this makes too much sense. Carroll was born in San Francisco, and he'd get a chance to play his former team twice a year and face Jim Harbaugh in the preseason. And if Shanahan's looking for continuity on defense, well, the scheme the 49ers have used in recent years is based on the aggressive defense Carroll ran when he was in San Francisco's coordinator in 95-96. Shanahan said he's always been a fan of Carroll's units. It's extremely tough to get explosive plays on. Shanahan said in 2017, it's tough to go against. They make you work for everything, and it's something that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every week. It's something that if you do over and over and over again, it's hard not to get better at it. So, I mean, I guess Pete Carroll would make a little bit of sense there, but he, in the same vein as Bill Belichick, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that he'd want to step down to be a defensive coordinator. I, I think he does live in the Bay Area, Bay Area, and he's from the Bay Area, so there's some interest there. There's some intrigue there. But again, if I'm going to use the same thing I said about Bill, like maybe there's a chance that either one of these guys, whether it be Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick, maybe they don't scoff at the idea of just getting a break for a season. They still they'll still remain very hot coaching candidates next year. Maybe, maybe. And then last, but certainly, you know what? This is the one I should, I'm already at 35 minutes. This is the one I should save for the second episode this week, but it it would make for a shorter episode. I don't know. I don't know. Brandon Ayuk, Brandon Ayuk. Um, I woke up today on Monday and you know, the topic was whether or not the 49ers will be able to re-sign Brandon Ayuk, whether or not they'll be able to, you know, keep him on the squad, whether or not Brandon Ayuk will want to be on the squad. Let me uh, let me clear my throat real quick. Okay. I guess I mean we're at 35 minutes. We'll we'll knock this out. I could have I could have cut it off here and then and then talked about Brandon, but that would have been an entire episode talking about Brandon Ayuk. I don't know. I don't know. So I think the biggest question up front when it comes to Brandon Ayuk is, does he want to stay here? We saw all kinds of weird little clips and screenshots from his brother, from his cousin, from his wife on how this might be their last year in San Francisco. Maybe that says that Ayuk is kind of ready to move on. Maybe he's ready to go to an offense where he would be the featured guy. And, and you know, when you look at the uh, the NFL's Receiving stats, you know, Tyreek Hill's up at the top with just a yard under 1,800. And then you go down six spots and you've got Brandon Ayuk with 1,342 yards. He did that on 66 less targets than Tyreek Hill. He had 76 less targets than CeeDee Lamb, 60 less targets than Amon Ross St. Brown, 55 less targets than Puka, Puka Nakua. Um... 53 less targets than A.J. Brown. 30 less targets than D.J. Moore. Brandon Ayuk, in terms of the top, like, 20 in receiving yards in the NFL, Brandon Ayuk has the lowest number of targets. You'd have to go all the way down to Justin Jefferson at 19 to find somebody with less targets, and Justin Jefferson only played 10 games. So in terms of the target share, Brandon Ayuk may want to go somewhere where his numbers will be more along the lines of of those. And if at at Brandon Ayuk's clip, who was second in the NFL in yards per reception, 
17.9 yards per reception, which is just ridiculous. You can see why he would have an argument for just wanting to go elsewhere. But I think that argument ends if the 49ers are willing to pay him what he would get elsewhere. Now, there's also just the general down-to-your-core football player drive wanting to be the man, you know, and get 10-plus targets a game. The dude had three catches in the Super Bowl. He has every right to be a little frustrated. But I think with another offseason with Brock Purdy, who doesn't have to battle a season-ending injury this time, and a little bit of a commitment from Shanahan to make Ayuk give him just a, a two or three more targets per game, I think a lot of that could be remedied pretty easily. Um, and, and to me, from a 49ers perspective, the, the answer is like a no fucking brainer. Like the 49ers have one of the best receivers in the NFL on Brandon Ayuk. Top 10. I'll give him top 10, especially looking at these numbers. And if you don't want to, you know, top 10, top 12, whatever, wherever your opinion lies, doesn't matter to me. I have a very high opinion of Brandon Ayuk. And I, I believe KP, maybe that's what we'll try and do is on Thursdays. Talk about this a little more. With KP, he did a he did like an almost an hour long video on YouTube about everything that went wrong for the 49ers on offense to contribute to losing them the Super Bowl. And I know a huge part of that was not targeting Ayuk often enough, considering how often he was open, which is rough. But with with for me, when it comes to a, a why do you pay Brandon Ayuk, it's all about chemistry. Like no player on the 49ers offense had better chemistry with Brock Purdy than Brandon Ayuk. I mean, you're talking about, you know, you can compare him to Debo Samuel, who managed to creep over a thousand yards, both rushing and receiving. But then you got Brandon Ayuk with 1,342 yards pure receiving at essentially 18 point, 18 yards a pop. That is, that's big time. Those are big plays. I mean, the dude made one of the most memorable catches in postseason history, catching that pass off of uh, the Lions' face mask. And yeah, it's a, it's a little lucky, but to me, I just don't see the 49ers just surrendering Brock Purdy's top target in his what's going to be his second full year as the starter and his first year having a, a legit offseason as the starter. These two have a chance to seriously build up the chemistry. And 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 he's just you're he's out now again. Brandon Ayuk has to want to be here. He has to want to stay with the 49ers. And if he does, then I, to me the onus is on the 49ers to work it out. Because I said this on our on our collaborative pod with the Candlestick Chronicles boys, Chris and Kyle. I said, you know, to me between George Kittle, and obviously you've got the plays that get schemed up that gain way more yards than this. But between George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey. And Debo Samuel, I feel like they have like five yards behind the line of scrimmage and out to like 10 to 15 yards locked up. You know, like those three can produce a pretty potent offense within that realm. But when it comes to those bigger plays, the 20 to 30 to 40 yard chunks, seems like they're always going to Ayuk. And that's why he averages 18 yards a catch. He is the 49ers big play guy. He is their elite route runner. He is their get open against man coverage. Once And one thing I haven't mentioned yet is 
Steve Spagnuolo, the, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, was super complimentary of Brock Purdy and the way he picked apart the Chiefs defense to start that game. So much so that he had to adjust in-game and switch to playing more man coverage because of the way Purdy was dicing that up. And once they started playing man coverage, I'd have to go back and check KP's video, but I'm pretty sure he came to the conclusion that Brandon Ayuk was getting open in man coverage. Debo Samuel was not. And if that's the case, you, I don't know. You got to be pretty crazy to ditch Ayuk, who's capable of getting open both in zone and man, has the route running ability to do it, has the hands to do it, has, and he's homegrown talent that you drafted and that Kyle Shanahan has been through the ringer to develop from the doghouse to the big time. So, I don't know about that. Tweeted about it. I'll read you what I wrote just to kind of sum up my thoughts. Pretty much, I mean, I'll just read it. Said, I'm out on the 49ers trading Brandon Mayuk in my eyes. He's key to Brock Purdy's continued development. The pair already have great chemistry that needs to be expanded on, not eliminated. If a deal is within reach for both parties, that has to be the goal. The Brandon Ayuk scenario reminds me of the DeForest Buckner trade and how that evolved over time. 49ers traded Buckner, attempted to draft his replacement, and eventually paid similar money for an inferior player. Reward the homegrown talent you developed whenever possible. A lot of exterior factors played into the Buckner trade, mainly other contracts, but the 49ers are in a better position now to get a deal done with Ayuk than they were with Buckner. I think they'd regret not finding a way to make it work. So that is my uh, that is my take on... Brandon Ayuk, and uh, why they should keep him. And uh, and again, the DeForest Buckner trade. Did I just say DeFuckner? Because that is awesome. I hope I did. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. The DeForest Buckner trade, it's not a one-to-one comparison. The 49ers were in a much tougher cap situation. They were paying Jimmy Garoppolo a lot of money. But now they're not, and now they have Brock Purdy. And what they ended up doing with the Buckner trade was drafting DeForest Buckner's replacement at 13, 14, and I believe they traded back one spot, if I'm not mistaken. And and ended up paying Javon Hargrave, like Buckner money. You know, like, it, it all didn't happen at once. There were seasons in between that, and I understood that Buckner was the one with value when compared to Armstead. Buckner was the one with big value. But it, it just, you know, they they traded him. They tried to draft his replacement, and then they, they didn't do that. And then they just ended up paying a player big money anyways a couple years down the line. Now, again, part of the reason they could do that was because they no longer had a big contract. Well, they a uh, big quarterback contract. Well, they still don't have a big quarterback contract. And they've got the room to re-sign Brandon Ayuk. And they can do it and actually save cap money because of Ayuk's fifth-year option. It can It can cost them less up front. And then there's the whole discussion. I think Matt Barrows has, has, has been having it. I want to say he was on KMBR talking about, you know, if you had to pick between Ayuk and Debo, which one would you pick? He would pick Ayuk. I've kind of been of that opinion for a while. And Debo has those games every now and then that reminds you that he's Debo, but didn't really show up in the Super Bowl. And again, I'd have to watch the tape a little closer to see how much he truly struggled against man. But, 
that's never a good sign for a receiver to struggle against man coverage. That's when a receiver becomes a receiver. It's me. It's you. I'm going to get open. So I think that's good. I think that's enough. 49ers need to, uh, need to resign, need to extend Brandon. Ayuk. that's where I'm at there. That's where I'm at there. You guys have been hearing me sing that tune for quite some time there. So no surprise, but all right, everybody, I appreciate you guys. Hopefully the, uh, the Super Bowl loss is healing up. Hopefully it's, it's, it's hardening your soul because the 49ers are going to need to do it again. And I think they can do it again. I think they can do it again. The way they lost this one might just provide them the sour, uh, a sour enough taste in their mouth to, uh, to get them to figure it out. Because again, I, I was, I was not all that impressed with the 49ers in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. For ways that seem like they could have been entirely avoided. You know, it's not like it's just hindsight. I just the way they handled that game and the way it was coached and the way it was handled by the players and the attitudes that you saw in those videos were just a little off putting. And and I feel like they can be they could be a better team. All right. That's all I'm gonna say on that. I may be coming back coming at you again later this week. Um, I am heading back to uh, back to work, back to my uh, my teaching job, my six weeks of parental leave, and today, and then I will be there tomorrow. Um, so things will get a little busier, but they, that's obviously never interfered with the pod before. So um, I might be coming at you again next week if the 49ers give me a reason to. Uh, if not, I'll be on here hopefully early. Uh, you know, I'll have an re- episode ready for you Monday of next week, and. Um, We'll see where the 49ers go from here. Free agency starts in, I believe, three weeks. I don't expect the 49ers to be huge players in that, just given their cap situation, but we'll see. You never know. They surprised me last year. All right, everybody, I appreciate you so much for listening to Strike and Gold. Thank you for being part of just a pretty amazing season. I absolutely loved it, and I appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for taking part in it. Um, I will have to find a way to implement a, a takeaway time every now and then it, it will, you know, I, I, we'll call it a mailbag because there obviously won't be a game to have takeaways from, but I still want to hear from you. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Love you. All the good things. Do good things. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great rest of your week. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. I'm Rob. This is striking gold. And we're signing. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.